We're the catalyst, right? Yeah. Like we have to be the catalyst. Yeah. Right smack dab in the middle. It's like if you're looking at like a, a if you're looking at time like it's a ticker mm-hmm. tape, yeah. and this is the cataclysmic event. We're like <laughs> yeah. here. We're actually much closer, depending on what your yeah. scale yeah. is. There, you know what I mean? It's terrifying, honestly. Our own potential scares me more than. Well, it doesn't scare me more than space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It doesn't, but it's, it's, it's close. It's close. Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Gabe. And we're, and we're the ghouls next, next, next door. door. Talk about spooky stuff. Yeah. Like the future. And space. Like like space travel, which is terrifying for me. Uh, <laughs> as we've covered. I know that our future is in the stars. Thank you, Octavia. Uh, but maybe like future, future when I'm not here. <laughs> I'll hold yeah. it down here. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. We're going to be in the chaos part of the Star Trek saga before they get to space. We're in like the bad part where all the nuclear war happens. And then hundreds of years from now, it gets cool where they're all in space. Everything's peaceful. Yeah, yeah. We're at the point where we are desperate enough to use our tools of mass destruction, rewire them so we could go to space. And then aliens are like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Let's let's help this you is... out here. Um, <laughs> but for those listening, we are the Ghouls Next Door, an award-winning media literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real-life historical and scientific societal influences behind our cinematic fears. And uh, today we're talking about Star Trek, which is a uh, just a, a show that has a history, right? It has been around for, for, like, I feel like forever. It has influenced so much of media, especially science fiction media. And uh, it it also follows some similar hopeful themes that we find in, um, like, Octavia Butler's work and some of the other things where it's like, yeah, there's the, the yeah. usual <laughs> suspects uh, uh, that are uh, trying us, right? Um, but at the core, it's kind of like, oh, we've... We don't have scarcity anymore. We, yeah, we've evolved we can have past whatever we want. capitalism. And yeah, as you said, scarcity. We can just clone all the food. So now we have all the food we want and no one has to be starving. And now there's all these different worlds. We, we unite all together because aliens, uh, which is a fun <laughs> yes. future. And free healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's it's a lovely show, it, which is funny to talk about on the ghouls, because there are many like horrifying episodes because that just kind of comes hand in hand with just being in space. Right. Like mm-hmm. dealing with uh, like aliens who have different abilities, but also thinking of a world where we have removed some of those usual um, motivators for violence. And now it's like who's left to still have those motivators. Like, what does it look like in this world? Um, Because there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be challenges. And so uh, 
I can't speak for Kat, but I myself have not watched a lot of Star Trek. I did watch a little bit of The Next Generation. It was one of my sleep shows where it was like a calming show to put on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up in a house with a Trekkie, but never, (laughs) never indulged in it. It just wasn't, it wasn't for me um, just because it wasn't a very positive environment that I was in that like allowed that for me I was like that's cool but then when I try to talk actual space this person would get really mad and so I was like that show must not be that and I'm completely wrong and now like I need to watch everything there ever was yeah now I watched all of the or like the whatever the first one was I watched all of that because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was on Netflix and I was like I'm gonna watch the whole thing and I definitely was very into sci-fi as a kid as you know first favorite movie was Terminator 2 and what have you. So like any movie that was like robot space future, I wanted or show, I wanted to watch it. So I definitely watched it. It's a like whatever the first one was. And then I definitely saw the one, the next generation. And I don't know if I, other than like to prepare for this episode, if I had seen a lot of like the other ones, I've seen like clips from them and like, uh, some imagery from it but I like didn't get a deep dive until we were able to you know come together for this yeah which is because we're we're you know haven't been um as well versed in the war and just history and just impact of Star Trek and all the different iterations of it um we especially for the series wanted to invite some guests in and we have the perfect guests for it <laughs> when we were like thinking of science fiction as a series I was like well 100% we're gonna do this because I'm ready to learn I'm ready to get excited uh and just kind of geek out about it and so um we're at for the show, we're going to be inviting back uh, Kennedy, who joined us for way, 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 way back in our episodes uh, about uh, space exploration. You were part of our Black Tribbles series, um, talking about space exploration all back then. So thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me. Hello, Goose. <laughs> I can't help it every time. <laughs> Hi, Kennedy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the invite. I always love an opportunity to talk about Trek and I love what you all are doing. So let's yeah, get to it. Absolutely. Um, so as I was saying, uh, the, so there's a good reason why we invited uh, Kennedy to come and talk about Trek because one, it's one of her favorite things, um, but she's also a member of the Women at Warp podcast, which is committed to examining Star Trek from a feminist perspective, exploring intersectionality, uh, diversity, and infinite combinations with a multitude of hosts. And she is a part of your away team, which has Starfleet's finest as they review the Trek universe through the lens of a Black perspective. Super important. And you'll find that Kennedy is a true Trek expert, <laughs> as we found. Um, is very passionate about Star Trek and also many, many nerdy things. And so there is no better person to kind of guide us through the stars uh, and, you know, really talk through what is amazing about Star Trek. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited, particularly because it's a it's a let me turn my game down here. It's a rough time for the fandom. If you consider yourself a progressive Mm. individual, someone who, you know, Uh, focuses on intersectionality and making sure that marginalized communities are represented appropriately, um, just in general, but also through the lens of something as as, uh, impactful as Star Trek, as you said, like it's been around since 66, so 50 plus years. I think the last counted at over 800 hours of programming. Oh, wow. Um, So it's just really a fun medium to look at 
not only interesting ways of telling stories about personal development and interpersonal, uh, I don't want to say issues because it has a negative connotation, but for lack of a better term, issues, because, you know, it's things we can only perceive things from our the basis of our own mm-hmm. experiences and using that as reference points. So Star Trek on a whole is how the human race with all of our nonsense <laughs> with us manages to not only survive our own disastrous impulses, but also, you know, developing technology that enables us to reach the stars and now having to interact with people from different planets who have different, you know, biological makeup, different literal atomical molecular differences from you. And yet you still have to work with this person. You have to find a way to meet common ground and have a conversation. Um, One of the things I, I love that you mentioned earlier is how humanity has the opportunity to experience life exist post scarcity mm-hmm. per post uh, uh capitalism post nationalism mm-hmm. all of that stuff um so the the core thing that i think people gravitate towards star trek 4 is it, it always has an element yeah. of hope right they never shy away from past issues they don't really get into it necessarily all the time but they definitely use mistakes, use grievances, use conflicts to inform their decisions on how not only we deal with ourselves, but also other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't like there was a switch that someone turned on and all of a sudden everybody was like, all right, cool, <laughs> yeah. let's go, let's use this replicator thing and only make food and yeah. shelter. This will be great. No one's going to want to make yeah. a gun. It's, <laughs> no, <Yeah>. like <laughs> there was, um, I mean, you, you mentioned kind of first contact when we first meet another species in this Roddenberry mm-hmm. universe. Um, but, you know, as we find out through other series and, you know, kind of not retconning, but, you know, a little, a little, a little, a little in-universe nonfiction, yeah. let's say, um, <laughs> that, you know, humanity destroyed itself. There was a third world war because corporations had taken over national government responsibilities and people were dying on mass and they were diseased and uneducated and unhoused and only a few small percentage had access to all of mm-hmm. those things. And then we blew ourselves up. I think a third of the population survived the third world mm-hmm. war. And I think I, I would hate to think that humanity needs to get to yeah, that point. Yeah, we must before we can not only lose everything, but like, for like we're, we're the source of that loss we're the cause mm-hmm. of that loss like i don't want it to come to that right but um that's how it happened and it's interesting because you two mentioned the original series and, and next generation mm-hmm. right well the next series after that deep space nine um does a really good job of of tackling complicated perspectives when it comes to all the, again those interpersonal issues mm-hmm. humanities progression or lack thereof in some cases all that stuff and they did a great episode called past tense that on a quick side note uh they get trapped in some timey wimey mm-hmm. nonsense and they go back in time right before the first pivotal event that sparks the revolution right or at least the the third world war um it's kind of like the way george floyd's murder mm-hmm. was used as a catalyst to cause call attention to all of these uh, intricate and nuanced issues that marginalize folks um, particularly in the black intersections deal with on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, 
except in, in that situation, it was much, much worse. Yeah. <laughs> there were literal like concentration camps. They called them sanctuary mm-hmm. cities and, you know, no one had any money. People were just trying to work. Not everybody was, they were criminalizing poverty essentially. And then, uh, something happens. I don't want to give too, too much away in case, you know, someone's mm-hmm. watch. and, um, it sparks, you know, the call for change and the call for action when it came to, you know, the liberation of oppressed people. Well, what's scary about that, <laughs> as much hope as I have that we would, you know, get to this point where Starfleet can be a thing and we can meet the Vulcans or bike and chill, uh, you know, that happened in Star Trek lore September 1st, 2024. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's tomorrow. So the fact yeah. that it's yeah. like, oh, no. that's tomorrow. So to, to, and that episode aired, I don't know, 96, 97, something like that. They were just, they just threw a date out there that they figured would be far enough in advance that people would use it as a cautionary Mm -hmm. tale and make better choices. But that didn't happen because as you said, Kat, that's tomorrow. So it's one of those things where the, the progression of humanity only reached the point where the Vulcans would even consider dealing with them because we had experienced enough loss Mm -hmm. not only personally but also as a species Mm -hmm. we had we had had enough loss that the few that were left realized that we need to do better so this way they were able to build cool things so they could go into the future and not to the future they could go into space and the vulcans could be like yo what's up (laughs) do you know what's up little half monkeys do you know what you're playing (laughs) with here what's that you got there is that a homemade warp drive (laughs) and they're like come here let me talk to you for a second (laughs) it's like finding some people on like a remote desert island that have email capabilities with like sticks and twigs and be like whoa (laughs) how do you do that what you doing there how did this happen tell me everything show your work type situation um so we i i would hope for us that we don't have to get to the point where the bell rides happen and et cetera et cetera but i mean that's a that's a scary thought in and of itself that it's tomorrow (laughs) um and that we're in the middle space like we 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 are in the we're the ones who have to like go before they can get to the bad, like the better yeah. space. And I hope that that's not. Right. We're the catalyst, right? Yeah. Like we have to be the catalyst. Yeah. Right smack dab in the middle. It's like if you're looking at like a, a if you're looking at time like it's a ticker mm-hmm. tape, yeah. and this is the cataclysmic event. We're like here. Yeah. We're actually much closer, depending on what your yeah. scale yeah. is. There, you know what I mean? It's terrifying, honestly. Our own potential scares me more than. Well, it doesn't scare me more than space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It doesn't, but it's, it's, it's close. Yeah. It's close. Yeah. It's close for and sure. And I think it's, you know, it's so easy when we are looking at the future because so often like futuristic media has this really like doom and gloom message to it. And that was something I didn't really want to lean into when we were covering science fiction, you know, because something we try to do is incorporate that hope, right? Ways to help, ways to kind of look at it in this new way, uh, the potential um, for us to persevere through it. And that's what, you know, we really appreciated about like Octavia Butler's work is that it was acknowledging that, yes, there's all these terrible things that are going to happen. There is a results, right? There is an impact that we and like the generations before us are going to have on our environment and on the people around us. But that doesn't mean we have to like give up, right? Like there is this potential 
potential for us to pick ourselves up and reimagine a future. And it can be tomorrow. Like I, I was Octavia Butler. Uh, that was like 2020. Like she was envisioning um, the, yeah. the Donald Trump and president uh, thinking of like Blade Runner was like yesterday, <laughs> like all those things. They were like 2020 yeah. sounds so uh, science fiction and futuristic. And it's like, no, it's happening right now. But uh, it is interesting to look at what like the world that we're in right now and that it's it's not quite the science fiction level, but there are a lot of things that we can point to to be like, oh, I see like AI, right? Like, oh, look at that 3D printers. Uh, there's so many ways that like Trek has also um, predicted the future in, in different ways and in, in specific technology um, and just being really like understanding how we would solve problems. <laughs> um, but something I just really appreciate about Roddenberry was having this hopeful like aspect in a time that also felt really bleak and dark for him. Like just like maybe it's not the the pivotal event that um, Deep Space Nine was uh, sharing with us, but it definitely felt like it was going to lead to that. Like it made sense that that would be a natural progression and that we would have a summer like 2020 that would then lead to the summers to come that will have, like, we're just going to keep going because we haven't fixed it yet. Like, we're, we're still in the midst right. of that. We're yeah. still combating those issues. Um, and as, you know, we're, you know, the, the other generations uh, before us are kind of, you know, aging out and we got new ones coming in. There's just this new narrative and new approach to issues that are coming out that I think would be, something that would influence, you know, creating some like a warp drive out of a nuclear weapon and getting the attention of an alien species, which is like, there's nothing more humbling <laughs> than, uh, you know, <laughs> it, I'm telling you, like, th th that's growing up on this because I, I was raised on it, right? My mom was a huge Trek fan. So I've been around it forever. Mm -hmm. And the most alarming thing about Trek now is before it was just the vacuum of mm -hmm. space, right? And when there were hole breaches and the guy gets sucked out, that sucks, yeah. right? Literally and also yeah. metaphorically. <laughs> See what I did there? Hey. Um, but the, the truly horrifying part about Star Trek at this point is how predictive it became even after Gene Roddenberry had passed and other people had taken creative control mm -hmm. over it. Um, uh, and how it... It, that was in the 90s, right? How it had it had kind of predicted this proposed future that we're now kind of walking inadvertently into. Um, what's scary about Trek nowadays is how polarizing the more modern stuff has mm -hmm. become. Stuff that was produced um, really from Star Trek Discovery onward um, has really dug deep into the interpersonal issues and how people react after being through a traumatic event in mm -hmm. space right not just your pew pew but also you know the person that you have to pew pew is possessed by a omnipotent nanobot species that just wants to obliterate all life and now you got to shoot your crewman in mm -hmm. the face like it's it and, and not just like oh that would happen last week i'm moving on <laughs> because i'm a officer and that's what officers do like no people stay kind of jacked up about yeah. these things that they encounter on these shows and while i and other progressive minded people really appreciate seeing that because we all wonder like how do these people even take lunch yeah. like what, did you just you <laughs> yeah. just went into your shift do they not take shifts like i have human rights concerns yeah. who's who gets who's to sleep the, like, the, <laughs> who's who's the union lead here who do i talk yeah. to you know 
Um, they don't shy away from any of that in the newer series. And we really dive deep into not only what would be a, a challenging situation just on a mm-hmm. planet, but, you know, a challenging situation in space, in a chain of command, and there's a crisis happening mm-hmm. as well, whether that's an environmental crisis or, a, you know, a, a conflict with another group. Like, it's always something. And even if it isn't something, you can still, something can blow up and yeah. you're gone. Like, that that whole rupture thing is not... Even though they've established that the ships and the technology are, are pretty much safe, I guess, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, uh, it's still yeah. a possibility, as with all spacefaring science fiction. So nowadays, it's it's alarming to see how people are reacting to... Some of us are like, hell yeah, who's yeah. going to therapy, right? <laughs> and then some of people are like, um, I don't want to see this. This is wishy-washy. I, I, no one cares about your feelings. Why is there why is there so many queer people in Star Trek now? It's like it's the future, dude. <laughs> it's the future. Man. You're in a retro ass relationship, yeah. my French. Like, yes. You are vintage, my dude. This is an old timey wimey retro hetero situation that you're trying mm-hmm. to defend. Like, breathe. It'll be okay. Nothing will happen to yeah. you if someone else gets more screen time than these. Had yeah. white dude in they the back. got it. You know, <laughs> they had it. So, <laughs> what's alarming nowadays versus what was alarming back then when all these things were mm-hmm. being predicted is is how congruent mm-hmm. they are. And when you think about that conceptually, about how the, the show has impacted folks and how culture and society react to it or impacted as well, influence rather, I should say. Like then there's the in story stuff too, <laughs> which is it can be terrifying. You can get fun pieces where they're in like period dresses mm-hmm. or you know, there's shenanigans afoot and it's more of a comedic lean than than anything else. But I think Trek is really underrated for its horror because it's got so many different mm-hmm. types. Yeah. Even the episodes you told us to watch like, were very much like body horror, evolution horror, plague. Like there was a lot mm-hmm. of murder yeah. mystery. Like there was a lot going on. And I'm in yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> what? You can't have both. It's what? rude. You don't even have anywhere to go. What? What? Yeah. yeah you're what do you mean there's a virus? Flies. <laughs> that no one has that no one has yeah. a name for. Yeah. What do you mean? It's bigger than yeah what what do you mean it's bigger than god that doesn't make any sense how is it a virus can the two things be yeah. i'm confined to this space this is all i'm allowed to be in it needs to be safe <laughs> like i need i need this yeah. to be safe yeah it's in you know something that uh really struck kat and i when we were watching um some of the episodes that you suggested was there were oftentimes just from our lens uh you know it, there were some issues that would come up where we're like this could be solved with some therapy you know like we have we can <laughs> replicate anything we have free healthcare, but we can't get people therapy like this man needs to talk about how his father traumatized him and put all this pressure into him and instead he's putting himself into this dangerous position and you know endangering not only his life but other people's lives and instead he could have just went to therapy you know and, and, and yeah, the lesson at the end was just lot. like uh, i just had a really bad relationship with my dad so sorry that i mutated you <laughs> And we had alien babies so that, like, I could figure that out. Yeah. It's so wild. Oh, are you talking about thresholds? See, threshold is a is a controversial episode in the Trek fandom. Um, it's very 
polarizing. You either, people either love it or they hate it. There doesn't tend to be much gray area. Um, I happen to love it for all the reasons that most people hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, aside before before the salamander mm-hmm. part, I saw it. Was, <laughs> she was like thirty years old. Um, the the Cronenbergian mm-hmm. the Cronenbergian mm-hmm. way that Tom Paris was slowly yeah. falling apart. Um, I believe won them an award. Oh, wow. that's so cool. reasonably. Yeah. That man um, pulled out his tongue. <laughs> just like my, just on, t- on, on t- right television, out. not cable, <laughs> yeah, not streaming. Yeah. Not, you know, after midnight, just yeah. whoop, 9 o'clock p.m. <laughs> like, At, like, bro, that's your tongue, bro. Like, oh. Um, but yeah, I, I personally love that I episode. That was very funny. Um, because it makes sense that the character would be that, you know, obsessed with, with doing something, mm-hmm. you know, so notable like that and being pushed to be mm-hmm. the first and not thinking rationally and all that stuff. I mean, the guy was a knucklehead. That's why he was imprisoned and why Janeway had to bust him out so that they could do this mission. Like everything about that crew was like pushed together, Mm -hmm, right? You want to talk about a scary situation. That whole crew, everybody was pushed together, flung to the other side of the galaxy. And now we got to work together to get home and deal with all the other stuff that we have no frame of reference for. Somehow their universal translators were amazing because they were talking to people who we've never met before, but whatever, let's go off, I guess. Um, and now I have an opportunity to, you know, be the first mm-hmm. at something. We're all the first at this. But now I, me, Tom Paris, yeah. wow, wow, me, me, <laughs> have the opportunity to be yeah. first at something. And I'm going to do it. I don't care yeah. who I hurt. And it's just like, bro, you hurt yourself on that. Yeah. And it's great that Paris goes down as like the first human being to cross the warp 10 threshold, which is supposed to be faster than mm-hmm. thought, apparently, yeah. or whatever. Um, but damn, bro, like... <laughs> Just talk to somebody first. Like we need to have some just like therapy inners. Like, yeah, I I think something that I just found so interesting um was like the different like races. Like, so we, you know, we were humbled when the Vulcan showed up and we were united as a human race in that way of like, oh, you know, we can have this diverse uh, you know, spaceship, right? But then on top of that, we also had like space races. Like we had other like alien races that, like you said, are completely different, like anatomically, uh, emotionally, the 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 cultures that they come from are so heavily influencing the way that they interact with others. But there is like, you know, what I was finding is there's this uh, like it was really exciting when you saw like a race that was otherwise like in previous episodes or iterations kind of not villainized but like oh that's an other like they have like oh these ones are greedy these ones are angry or these ones are this and then they were like here they're on the ship with you uh and those things that we had kind of used to to dub them as an outsider is now one of their strengths right it's like oh you're very strong right and that makes you really great at this part of the ship right or um even just thinking of the vulcans like you know you're not uh you know, you don't have that creative wild energy of humans to be a leader, but Mm-mm. you're so, Focused. yeah, you can, yes. Focused, super dramatic though. Yeah. They're catty as hell. Don't, don't get yeah. it twisted. Just because they don't um, believe in or participate in emotional things doesn't mean they're not yeah. dramatic. Because <laughs> they are. Um, it, I, yeah, all the different races featured in the Star Trek universe are another thing that, that keep me hype about it. Because people have mm-hmm. their favorites. Right. They all have elements that appeal to individuals, however that may be. Um, 
part of the, the tenet of Women at Warp is intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. That's kind of a play on the original uh, Vulcan logic credo, which is infinite diversity in infinite combinations is the best team one mm -hmm. can assemble to have the best outcome. Because if you pull, I mean, we know this as far as workplaces and, and you know, media studies and any element of life, mm -hmm. right? The more points of view and experiences that you have tackling a problem, mm -hmm. the higher the opportunity it is for that problem to be solved, or at least for there to be some type of solution. Um, and through that, the Vulcans were like, they might be weird and somewhat hairy, but you know, <laughs> yeah. hey, they, clearly they could do the yeah. math right. So let's see if we can fold them in. Um, but there was like a point of contention. The, the series Enterprise talked about that. It talked about the prototype mm -hmm. ship. Um, I mean, they were like <laughs> buttons and levers and pulleys and cranks <laughs> and like, you know, the engineer was back there like chucking dilithium crystals into the furnace. Yeah. Not really, but that's how old those ships were in terms of, you know, it's it wasn't space luxury communism mm -hmm. at that yeah. point. It was still test pilot type stuff. And they were not only figuring out space and everything that went along with it, but really building the structure of what Starfleet would be going forward and what the Federation would be going forward. So there was a lot of what we call old school mistakes, <laughs> you know, lots of chauvinism, mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. ignorance, maybe some slight racism in like in the purest way, not in like an interhuman way, but like mm -hmm. in a human to Vulcan yeah. way. Cause they did have a, a science officer posted to Paul and she was constantly like, trying to establish boundaries about what she was comfortable with and what she wasn't comfortable with. And they were like, no, no, you can eat meat. <laughs> she just, 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 just cut it up and put it in your mouth. It's fine. Yeah. This is delicious. And she's like, I'm not, we don't eat. It's illogical to eat flesh when there's plants. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Try the lamb. It's good. Um, um. Yeah, you know, like, humans. Yep. Typical human <laughs> stuff that it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what part of the world you look at, all cultures have that element to them in society mm -hmm. where they're like, ah, you, yeah. tracks, you know, um, perhaps just to some extent, you know, so to see all that and then to watch them kind of struggle with taking orders from Vulcans and interacting with people who don't have emotions mm -hmm. and you can't. I mean, a lot of what we do as human being communication is reading body mm -hmm. language, reading tone of voice, like inflection and the choice of words. We say things a little gently if we have to be harsh or if we want to be harsh, mm -hmm. you know, and they didn't, it's just, you know, <laughs> boom, this is what it is, what it is, what it isn't. This is what it is. Why are you acting like this? It's not necessary. Okay, fine. Be mad. We'll talk later. And it's just like that type of thing really fascinates me because it's always different um, with all the races that we interact with, Klingons specifically, the Ferengi mm -hmm. or the little yeah. green dudes. Um, <laughs> yeah, the different version of capitalism that's instead just very Yeah, but the, the interesting thing about Ferengis in, in particular is that they might be capitalist, greed-driven, questionable individuals, but they never had a history of yeah. slavery in their planet, in their culture. They didn't go to war with each other like with fisticuffs. They might you know, ruin someone economically, but they don't fight each other in that yeah. way. Um, yeah. So they might have enslaved other species, which is why they're kind of like toe the line there in terms of their reputation, but they didn't, they didn't look at each other mm -hmm. in themselves that way. So they use that as a point of reference when they got into it. Like, 
yeah, you can, we can, yeah, we're greedy. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least we didn't enslave and murder each other for hundreds of thousands of years like you people did. So it really forces you to come to terms with your, our own shortcomings mm-hmm. as a species um, in ways that we, we don't have the ability to do outside of the lens of, of science mm-hmm. fiction. Um, sometimes in fantasy, you know, we can kind of touch on those things. There's allegories there for sure. Um, but I just find it super effective to use that interaction. It's like, it's like a mm-hmm. mirror. <laughs> it's, it's comforting that we're consistent, yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. Um, I just, I just really appreciate so many things and, and you like my favorite species are Boleans. <laughs> I love Boleans. I love Klingons too, but I love Boleans. They're like a bluish people who have like corrosive body fluids huh. and are just socialized to be like generally like agreeable mm-hmm. people to the point where they're best served and like they're best posted in like service positions. So bartenders, um, valets, uh, barbers, like that kind of stuff, because it's not perceived as like a service position at that point. It's not a classism mm-hmm. thing. It's just they that they're do that. suited yeah. to it's, uh, yeah. not only that, it's like they're, they, stuff rolls off their back. So we all have to, as customer service people, if we ever work those jobs, we have to have a certain layer of callus to deal with like abrasive mm-hmm. people. Whereas they, they're just like, all right, <laughs> you can be mad if you want to, but you still need this haircut. So are you done? <laughs> cool. Have a seat. How's your day? Did you eat lunch? That's why you're cranky. You didn't eat lunch. Did you hydrate? See, that's what they, so whereas we as humans would be like, who are you talking to yeah. like that? They don't really have much of an issue. Um, but there's nuances in that as well. Not only as far as like species and the cultures they're in, but the individuals mm-hmm. is where there's differences too. So it's really interesting to see how different series and different characters interact with that, with that level of, of nuance. I know I keep throwing that word around a lot, but it's really yeah. what it is. It's not a yes or no. It's not a black or white. It's not real. It's all mm-hmm. gradient in between there. And I, I feel like once people not only in Star Trek, but also in real life, mm-hmm. start realizing that there's a gradient and that people exist in margins because we created margins, not because they exist. Yeah. It's like an inherent yeah. issue. Yeah. Um, that we can start to hopefully skip the third world yeah. War part yeah. and flag down the volcano. Yeah, and just focus on science and get yeah. to the space in a, in a more positive light. Like, yeah, for like good reasons, not for you know millionaires to get yeah. up there and flex. So good. Yeah, hopefully uh, without like the mass loss of life and you know accountability and hope instead of just like depression. Yeah, from <laughs> our space, our place among the stars. Like I should not be prepared for dystopian, real time, smoky, hazy skylines because I watch science fiction. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> That's weird. I should not be like, oh, this looks like Blade Runner, yeah. or oh, this looks like this. She didn't do. No, that is not a good <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yes. Not a good thing. Yeah. The best part about Earth currently is that we're not on Mars, so it shouldn't look like the surface of Mars. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, nothing. It's oxygen. Yeah. It's not as cold. You know, I find it What's so interesting that you're saying the that there's like confliction conflicting um feelings for like the the newest uh series. Just because like what we were watching, I felt like, you know, just in the 
the development of these different races, right? We are already like having those conversations. Uh, like, aren't there, isn't there a specific like alien race that has like polyamory or like <laughs> queer representation already there? <laughs> it's so a couple weekends ago, myself. And a, a few colleagues actually did a panel at uh, Trek Long Islands, really Aww. fun, cute little con, um, called when Star Trek was subtle. <laughs> because that's the call from the conservative gotcha. side of the fandom. I just want Star Trek. Why is it shoved in our faces? It's shoved on my throat. Blah, blah, blah. Why can't it be? Why can't it be when Star Trek was subtle? And I, I just want to be like, which yeah. which Star Trek were you yeah. watching? Yeah. Like, what? How many K's were in the title? Because it sounds <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. got a bootleg. <laughs> Um, are you sure it's not Star Wreck? Because that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah. you're watching. Um, from from day one, mm -hmm. it has always been political. It has always been used as a tool to, not a tool, as a mirror to look at ourselves and how we can learn from our own mistakes in a way that isn't super preachy. But it was never mm -hmm. subtle. Yeah. It was never subtle. And the original series, they the Enterprise was assigned a diplomatic mediation mission to prevent a conflict between people who shared a world where one side of their face was white, the right yeah. side was white and the left side was black, but they was beefing with the other boys whose right side of their face was black and the left side of their face was white. And they was like, I can't deal with him. He crazy, all them crazy, them people, those people, da, da, da. and Spock and Kirk look at each other like, uh, you look the same, <laughs> my guy. So it is, it is always, and like the rhetoric that is used in the dialogue specifically in that time is stuff that I'm seeing from 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 bigoted people, individuals, groups, whatever, nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, like they're, they're uh, uh, anatomically inferior, mm -hmm. the science, look at the science, just like it's all stuff that I'm seeing over and over and over again. So I'm like, how are you upset that Star Trek Discovery has a non-binary actor and a, a trans actor on the show? Why are you upset that the only white people in the show are either in makeup or in the back? Why yeah. are you upset? If this is the the end result of 50 plus years of programming. Like, I'm so confused why you are okay with Worf, yeah. a black Klingon, a black old black old black yeah. Klingon, but you got issues with Wilson Cruz as a queer doctor? That's weird. Yeah. Like, you're, you, you're okay with, with Kirk doing all of these crazy cowboy, space cowboy shenanigans. I'm just gonna flip the switch, hold my breath, and everything's gonna be okay because yeah. I'm Kirk, damn it, I'm good at what I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fine for him. But the second Michael Burnham does it, oh, this is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I don't want, she shouldn't be on the ship because she mutinied anyway. <laughs> and this, that, and the third. And, and it's just like, what What are you watching? Can you share the yeah. link? Because I don't, I don't know what you're looking at because this that I'm looking at has been so, so clear yeah. about the path to progress. Not even, and you notice I didn't say the correct way to go about things, but it's been clear in like what we need to do in order to progress mm -hmm. as a species. Yeah. <laughs> if we are expected to continue. I mean, Carl Sagan said it best, right? Extinction is the rule. Survival is the exception. So if we're all in this together and we're all watching the same science fiction show that has been so influential and so impactful in so many ways, how do you have issues? Just just say you don't like seeing black women in positions yeah. of power <laughs> yeah. and go. Because that seems yeah. to be what the issue is. 
the most frustrating part and the scary part is that they won't they're not saying they're saying the quiet yeah. parts out loud and it's all the same it's like they have a script mm-hmm. it's all this because when you try to engage like well no show is without its criticisms right nothing's perfect we can all go through it with a fine-tooth comb and find issues or challenges if we choose to i certainly have a list <laughs> of my own but like if you're if everybody that i try to have a conversation with try and understand them because that's what mm-hmm. trek is about try to understand differences then why is it that you are all saying the same thing you're all saying the yeah. same thing and it's just like give me a, a legit critique yeah like, yeah get, Please, please change my perspective on things. I, what, this show is so old. There's so many shows. There are several. That, all of those shows would have graduated from college, masters. I got kids in yeah. grade school, mortgages, mm-hmm. down payments on cars. Like all these shows are old as hell. So, what, what happened? What happened? Why? Why are you all of a sudden? I think it's so. I upset. feel like it's more because like society is calling them out in addition to the show, and then they're just real mad about that. They're like, "Oh, now we can't just be openly bigoted and racist, and like this show is critiquing that, but we get to still be it in real life." There's a lot of more critique against the real life thing, so they're like, "Well, we can't even have it in real life, so now we're also <laughs> mad about the show." Yeah, uh, I can't even be racist Maybe, in my fantasy, like. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's definitely like an element to it. Um, at that same convention, I had a bunch mm-hmm. of panels and found another pattern. Like it was a certain demographic of individuals that would always have the same way to critique our position, mm-hmm. even when we were clear. These critiques are coming from an in-universe perspective. We're not focusing on the production elements. We're not talking about writers, producers, mm-hmm. casting yeah. directors, costume, none of that. We're talking about what's happening in-universe. And there were so many times we would get interrupted, like as we were talking for members of the crowd, they would put a hand up first, but they would still interrupt and say something along the lines of, you know, as I sit here and listen to this conversation, we we really need to remember to honor Gene's vision and everything that he had planned with the original show and how groundbreaking it was. And I mean, come on, the first interracial kiss was on Star Trek. And I'm just like, that to me is a dog whistle because contextually that kiss was non-consensual they were being forced to do that against their will within the episode so as groundbreaking as it was on american television in the 60s what we watched was a black woman's body get violated Mm -hmm. so why is it that that is the first thing that you think to bring up when you talk about the diversity of the show why why Mm -hmm. is that the thing that you and you know you kind of have to catch yourself because you don't want to like chop into them for for having a point of view but you also don't want to let it slide either so i just we were talking about something completely separate but he brought that up and i was like well first i want to reiterate that sue was clear in saying that this is an in-universe analysis not a production analysis so that's one two (laughs) i said gene roddenberry at one point wanted betazoids including diana troy to have not one not two not three, but eight sets of breasts. So please <laughs> talk to me about Gene's vision. Yeah. Talk to me about this great bird in the sky. He is so infallible, yeah. right? You tell me how not one, not two, not three, but four sets of breasts was supposed to make it on national television. Yeah. My guy. They never yeah. can. They never can. So it's it's really it's it's strewn with rhetoric. Um 
And it's it's scary to see such a progressive show harbor or rather attract such I don't even want to call it conservative. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like yeah. fascism. Yeah. It's almost it's almost an element of fascism where they don't feel comfortable seeing others being highlighted or mm-hmm. represented. Like I don't know what other term but to describe it mm-hmm. but that. Yeah. You know? Because it's not these people don't consider themselves to be bigots, right? They don't go out of their way to do horrible things to people in marginalized communities. But, you know, that bleeding heart liberal thing is kind of an issue too. Cause like, I don't want to hear how much the gay community has uplifted you if you're not checking your bigoted uncle yeah. at Thanksgiving, you know? So. Yeah. I also think like, because, you know, the diversity that you're explaining is, is the natural progression of what like humanity is going to be like, that's just how it is. But that is a threat to them. Like, cause it is like the logical, yeah. like that is what our future is going to look like. We are going to have mixed race people. We're going to have people who are, you know, growing up able to accept their identity and be the identity that they are, they're supposed to be. Um, and we're creating those environments. And that is a future that looks scary to them because we're no longer upholding uh, the same things that let them have all the power, let them have the main, be the main voice. Uh, and that's something that we're often talking about too, is like, we want to have, you know, this shift in perspectives. We want to elevate um, and enhance different voices, right? We want to cultivate the land. We got to rotate the crops. <laughs> we can't be planting the same crops in this field. It's just going to go dry. And, it, but that is a threat because they have been that same plot. They have been the plant that we have seen over and over and over again. And so it becomes like, then it, it, it's kind of like being backed into a corner and it, there's this viciousness to it. But I think, you know, for those of us who can watch it and see it more as like a hopeful future as something that's like more realistic to what we could have, what we could want if we were just like, you know, get our stuff together. I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, And, you know, I think when we, uh, something that I was thinking of when we were watching and there was, I can't remember the name of the, the episode, um, but it was where the, the guy committed a murder and he was just like, like, <laughs> um, Tuvok was trying to figure out like why. And he's like, why Ooh. did you do it? What is your motive? And he's like, I just felt like it. guy looked at me weird. I don't like it. And it was like, so perplexing. Shout out to Brad so good. Like I was like, this is amazing. But to me, it was such an interesting concept because what it was like, it, it moved past what I generally see as like the horrors of being in space or like future horrors. Like um, it wasn't environmental. Right? It wasn't uh, a plague. It wasn't, you know, a sickness. It was just this, this murder. Right. And that's such a, like a, a it feels archaic. <laughs> like I was like, aren't we past this? Yeah. Right. Cause, cause usually our motivations for murder, right. Are like money, which we don't have um, jealousy, which is like, we don't really need that either. Like there's these different things that used to, to motivate us. And this person's just like, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, guy. Was a was a trip, especially because he was Betazoid and they have the ability to not only c- communicate telepathically with other betazoids and other telepathic species but they're empathic as well mm-hmm. so they might not be able to read your mind your thoughts specifically but they can read how you're feeling mm-hmm. and that type of ability in the wrong hands could be incredibly dangerous yeah. um and 
that's just someone being casually manipulative because they're bored, right? Not a, let alone somebody like Ensign Suter, which was his name, <laughs> um, who was just like, eh, I don't even want to be out here, yeah. you know, because in that case, it's a different type of fear that they're, they weren't assigned to Voyager. There was no clear mission. There was no consent to be in the, in the Delta Quadrant like that. Like all of those people, Starfleet and then the Maquis alike, were just kind of thrust in the situation. It was a tiny ship. Um, didn't have a ship's counselor mm. uh, assigned to the crew. In fact, the doctor was killed. That's why they got the hologram. Yeah. <laughs> just like fixing people, yeah. just on drain and batteries. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Um, and like when you are, when, you're, when your story is set in such a bleak situation where you're far from resources, you're far from anything that you know. And when we've been conditioned to believe that the best way to deal with problematic personality types like mm -hmm. that is to separate them from society. Mm -hmm. You can't separate them from society. You can't, like they said, you can't leave them in the brig mm -hmm. for the, because it's a 75 year trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't leave them in there. Um, so you got to confine them to quarters because you can't let them walk around. Cause just no. So it, it also brought up some really cool, you know, moral issues like a lot of folks didn't want him to breathe like why he gotta breathe our air yeah. if he's not contributing to the ship if in fact if he killed somebody you know so it, it i thought that was a really cool episode one because it's again brad Reef. <laughs> um something about those betazoid lenses are just so good uh on the worst actor yeah. with him yeah mm, oh mm, just chewing up scenery you forget what show it's on be like dang is brad Reef in a starfleet uniform <laughs> what is happening <laughs> um uh, but it really does a great job of, of focusing on those points that I made earlier. Like, what do you do mm -hmm. if you are forced to travel with somebody who is violent, who is fatal, who is dangerous in that way? Um, and, you know, anytime to, to see Tim Russ's Tuvok was just tremendous. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, a really important character as well, because with all the Vulcans we had seen had always been portrayed by white people. Mm -hmm. So to see a, a person of color interpret the Vulcan like snark yeah. is it's just fantastic he does this bop every yeah. time he leaves a conversation and depending on how aggravated he is <laughs> with the conversation uh determines the the severity of the bop yeah. so if he's like made a point he just like kind of dips real hard <laughs> but if it's like you know short and quick and it's a crisis his dip is very small because he's moving but that that sass dip I'd be like oh it's a two-block bop yeah it's so cute <laughs> I, I got it. so yeah. I personally got really excited when I saw him because <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, I didn't know. Like I didn't know that that was possible. You know, um, just from what I had seen, I hadn't gotten to there yet, mm -hmm. and so that was just very exciting, just for me, and just thinking of you know the impact that the show has had on you know, people growing up and being able to see themselves represented in such a popular piece of media, um, in powerful roles or just like very human roles too. Like even if you were an, an alien, right, you're an alien race, you had very human um, issues that had to be resolved, very human interactions, and they were allowed to be that, right? You were allowed that vulnerability, you were allowed uh, to work through that. We were able to, you know, critique really big issues by like slapping them on somebody else. <laughs> so we 
we can kind of separate mm-hmm. ourselves from it a little bit. Like, oh, you know, um, like xenophobia. Like, we're just going to slap that on this entire race and say this is bad. Yeah. Um, capitalism, right? We're going to slap that on an entire race and say that, you know, that is bad the way that we were doing it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, e- yeah, even just like um, like nationalism, like a lot of those things that we had as humans had put behind us to be able to get out there, um, we could still see it other places and see why it is behind us. And that was like really exciting to see because uh, I feel like we often like even in those me- like in future media take that with us. Um, we take yeah. those things with us and it gets really heavy in this way that it feels like we can't get out of it. Um, and this didn't feel like that. It felt like they're like because they do. Right. <laughs> like they still get out of yeah. it at every turn. And they also don't, like I said, they don't shy away from it either. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever another species, you know, criticizes humanity for whatever valid reason from the list, <laughs> yeah. you know, the human that they're speaking to will always get kind of like, ah. like there's never a, well, actually, grandfather, not not all humans. I'm a direct descendant from John Brett. Like there is yeah. none of that. You know, it's always a, yeah. Hey, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to it's kind of like being a philadelphian where it's like oh geez yeah. you guys and you're like yep that's yeah <laughs> we, we know oh, yeah. yep yep no one gets defensive no one tries to make up foolish nope yep, yep. That, we, yep that happened here yes <laughs> um and i just really appreciate there's a great scene in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where there it's pretty much the catalyst to end the conflict between the Federation and the Klingons. And, you know, Kirk has some high-ranked Klingons over for dinner, and everybody's eating, and everything's kiki. They're trying to be, it's super awkward. <laughs> Nobody wants to be there, you mm-hmm. know. But everybody's trying to make the effort. And um someone called into question like the staples of Starfleet and the reply was like, we aspire to better ourselves and to learn and seek out new life, new civilizations, all that stuff. And, you know, just be the the best we can for, for all mankind. Like this would be a benefit for all mankind. And one of the Klingons was like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Just your language Mm -hmm. for all mankind, for all humankind, how racist. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) like, what can you say? What can you say? Because, it forces you to then look at your everyday language that way mm-hmm. as well. So watching Star Trek was the first time in media I learned how to interact with folks who aren't on the gender binary. Mm-hmm. Um, not only were there, there entire species that existed outside of that realm, but there was a whole episode of Next Generation where Riker fell in love with a non-binary John. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you should leave me alone because we don't do that where I come from. And Riker was like, girl, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can do whatever you want. <laughs> so if you want to come hang out with me, we can come hang out. You need to fix some things? I'm going to help you fix some things. You want to fix some things with me? Let's go fix some things. And, you know, imposed his ideologies on, on this person. And they, you know, started reconsidering things and decided that they did want to leave a a binary lifestyle and have a partner and 
be romantic and, and all of that stuff and got back to their home planet. And they were like, no, absolutely not. We need to send you to church camp now so you can <laughs> no. pray the straight away. That's essentially what happened. Like, you, we, um, straight heterosexuality, no ma'am. <laughs> no, no friend. You're going to go and start the future stand liberals in front of this. Want. <laughs> oh, you're going to stand in front of this room full of strangers. Some of them are strangers. Most of them are colleagues and family. And you are going to renounce this cursed heterosexual, this heteronormative nonsense and rejoin your rightful place amongst the species. And Riker was like, this is uncalled for. They should be able to do whatever they want. This is, why can't they live their life? And, you know, Picard would be like, yeah, you did kind of yeah. impose your belief system on this person. And now they have, you know, irreparable consequences on the heels of that. Like you have affected the natural progression on how their society goes forward. And Riker went back to apologize to this person and they were like, I don't even know who you are. Ooh. Like they completely brainwashed them. And at the time I was like, wow, that's effed up. They should have let her do whatever she wanted. But like looking back on it and it's like, no, Riker was effed up. Like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. How, how dare you large white man <laughs> come to this planet and with your science and, and try to force your heteronormativity on this person. What's wrong with you? Um, and I just, I think it's such a valuable tool to address challenges that we have on interpersonal levels so that we can get to that future without having to get called an HR all the time. <laughs> or really PR, personal relations, because it shouldn't be human relations. It should be personal yes. relations all the time <laughs> at that point. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean... I this was such a treat just to to explore in depth because, you know, I am friends with a lot of people who who love and value uh, Star Trek and the impact that it had on them growing up and um, just the way that they understand the world and, you know, seeing how it has grown and adapted throughout time is really just like fascinating to me. Um, and so uh I wanted to kind of give some space for you to talk a bit about Women at Warp, if you could let people know like what they could find um, tuning into you, where they can tune in, because uh, I'm sure we have some people who are like, Star Trek, the ghouls, and like, you know, turn tuned into that, and they're like, well, we want more of this, we need more uh, discussion on it. So where can they find you and uh, more about Women at Warp? Yeah, heck yeah. Um, you can find Women at Warp at womenatwarp.com. <laughs> there's blog posts up there, there's podcasts. Um, and we discuss track through a feminist critical lens. Um, and we try to, you know, constructively examine this thing that we all love for very different reasons. And uh, it's interesting because before I joined the show, it started off as hey, let's talk about this thing that was on the air 20 years ago, and now it's turned into, like, a review show where there's real content <laughs> happening regularly that we um, are fortunate enough to, pour, to, to report on. So it's nice to be part of a group of people who are, are so focused <laughs> on doing the right thing, and if that pisses off, you know, right-leaning people along the way, then, then so be it, because that wasn't the intention. Mm -hmm. It was more so to, you know, highlight marginalized folks um through the only perspective that any of us have mm -hmm. um so yeah women at warp you can find us on instagram all the social medias at women at warp uh same thing for your away team that's been fun we had a relaunch a couple weeks ago um uh, i play a klingon <laughs> <laughs> and my colleague tony plays a vulcan and we are temporal scientists who 
are tasked with trying to develop new temporal technology and exam and use data files or episodes as points of reference to inform our decisions as we boldly go. <laughs> so, so it's fun. been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. I scripting it and acting it and performing it has been wearing many hats. Yeah. So it's been a baby for a little bit. Oh. Sorry if I've disappeared. Guys. <laughs> no, that's amazing. <laughs> Doing this thing. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a clear passion for it. And I feel like in, you know, like just in like the show, there's so many, uh, experiences that we're seeing in there. And there's clearly people who are watching it, who are looking for that community too, right? Looking for that place. And, and, you know, we love horror, but it doesn't mean we have to like everything that's in horror, right? There's often times that we're like, oh, this is not great. Like even like franchises that we, you know, enjoy or directors or creators that we enjoy, will create something where like, Right. But that's because we're coming from a place of love um, that we're expecting more from it and that we can, you know, uh, address those issues in a way that I feel like is not so much just like you messed up. You're the worst. Get out of here. It's just like we could do better. And here's why. And here, like, here's why we deserve better yeah. in these different ways. And um, I know that we can absolutely relate to, uh, you know, having people kind of pipe in like, that's not feminist. You're putting things in there that shouldn't be in there. And we're like, you probably shouldn't be, you know, listening to a media literacy show <laughs> if you don't want to get educated on media what you're literacy. watching. Right. You know? you're right, exactly. Um, <laughs> are you lost? Yeah, you place. Um, so for, you know, folks who are looking for that, looking for that, um, the community of people who are experiencing it um, from like a, a place of passion and understanding, but not shying away from, you know, critiquing and also just like confronting some of the issues that could come up, then Women at Work is a great place to do that. Um, and then, you know, being entertained as well, your away team, that, that's so wonderful, it's so creative. I love that. <laughs> Like as someone who's terrified of space, I love having other people doing it. You know, like, like everyone yeah. else in space is like, that's so cool. I love that for you. Love that for you. Because then yeah. I can enjoy it from safety. You know. Yeah, like I, I would. People ask like if you were actually in Starfleet. I'm like, first of all, if I was, yeah. I am. Hello, yes. rank it and pick me up. Um, like, what would you, where would you be? What would your dream job be? And I'm like, first of all, I don't aspire to labor. One. Yes. Two, <laughs> two, I would probably be in personnel. Like, I would be on a planet or a moon, mm -hmm. maybe in somebody's office, filing, you know, pro processing um, transfers. Mm -hmm. Right. People are transferring to different ships. Different, yep. I'm going to put all your paperwork yeah. through. Make sure your spouse's paperwork, your children. Yep. Make sure you're not on this ship because the, yep, yep. I'm going to file all this paperwork and report to all that. I would be a PAO, I would think, is a public affairs officer. It's one of the characters actually on your away team. Uh, public affairs officers are people who essentially run interference for like high ranking individuals, right, within an organization. So, you know. Not like security, but kind of like, hey, how you yeah. doing? What can I talk to you about? <laughs> no, they're busy at the time. <laughs> what can I do for you? You know, just a couple extra people there to have on staff. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would want to be on a ship because I... Mm, it's just... Yeah, we're not supposed to be like a necessary risk. <laughs> yeah, you know, even during peacetime where we don't have to worry about the pew-pew, yeah. there's still spatial anomalies like... Uh, Night Terrors, one of the episodes I recommended from Next Generation, I was like, okay, what is, what's the, the issue here? Is this environmental? Is this a beastie? Mm -hmm. Is this 
someone who has snapped like what's which one is the sources and it's like a literal combination of just what can happen in a space horror situation it was an anomaly that was disrupting people's ability to enter REM sleep and dream so they were having they were developing cognitive issues on, and, and couldn't really function on the ship. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a massive spaceship where the people that make it go ain't yeah. sleeping. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I rely on them. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be there. Um, and it's so horrifying in that situation, particularly because there is no person to hold accountable. Mm-hmm. There is no uh, conflict to resolve. There is no... Oh, I got to do a better job mending the whole... Br- no, this is sheer space. An anomaly sucked you in, and if you don't have enough power to get out of it, you are yeah. trapped in no sleep land where eventually all of you are going to turn turn on each other and murder yeah. each other. Like, what? No, thank you. <laughs> My address is <laughs> Personnel Division, Compound A, uh, floor yeah. three, yeah, on room D in the back. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> where you can find me on, on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I can receive mail because I stay in one place. Yes. Listen, you don't have any problem getting things to me because I am in one. I, I could be on the moon. Yeah. Hell, I could be, you know, on Ganymede once they get that old Europa Planitia. Yeah, I could post up there. Not, uh-uh, not a station, not a ship. Yeah. <laughs> I will get on a ship if I need to escort a high-ranking officer yeah. somewhere, and I'm not going to be okay about it. So. Short-lived, short trip. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, no, I, yeah, can't, can't catch me in space. Um, even just playing dead space, I'm like, why am I doing this? This is, like, this is literally my worst nightmare. I don't know why I'm here. Why um, the the whole thing too. wants us dead. Like, even the monsters just aren't scary to me. I'm like, why is the, like, ship moaning? <laughs> like, I can't. Um, yes. You know, it's funny that you mentioned earlier that you watched T- uh, TNG as kind of like an ancillary mm-hmm. capacity. I, I watch, when I really can't sleep, I put on Alien. <laughs> yeah. Which is arguably one of the most terrifying space yes. horrors that exist. Um, it's the sound of the engines. And of course, Jerry Goldsmith's mm-hmm. score is impeccable, but the engines of the Nostromo just kind of like put me out. I am asleep before anybody gets face yeah. hugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, you slept through the whole I mean, I, I love that yeah. movie, so I hate missing that part. I always wake up at the credits. I'm like, oh god, let me run it back. <laughs> yes. And that's, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, I love, I get it. I get it. Having, like, your comfort show, especially because you already know what's happening, um, and there are just mm-hmm. things about it that just, like, lull you right in. And it's, it's just perfect. So, um, and that's, I just let, like, it was, there was just an atmosphere <laughs> next gen for me that I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, cool. I could just sleep. And then, cause I wake up and then something else crazy is happening. I'm like, wow, what? <laughs> right back into it. I, I think it's because of the ease that Star Trek presents to so many of our like current mm-hmm. issues, right? Those people aren't, they don't hate their jobs. Yeah. You know, they went to school and they studied real hard in these highly specialized focus fields so they could be on the Enterprise or whatever other ship that they're stationed on and do, you know, botanical analysis from random planets. Like, that's what they want to do. They're not doing this from a from a position of Mm -hmm. scarcity where, you know, I got to go to college so that I can buy black block and uplift my people out of. No, I'm going to do this because I Mm want to do this. And you know, that's, that's the end of it. Like people don't catch colds yeah. because healthcare is readily accessible. Um, p- 
people don't have to worry about a whole slew of things that we do in the present space and time now. So when you see them, even though they're in space and could potentially die at any moment yeah. with the right explosion, like they're not worried about the same stuff that we're worried about. So it is kind of like, oh, whew, I may be in the void. Yeah. But this is but the nice. carpet's nice. Yeah. This carpet's yeah. nice. Plush I'm just thinking about all the things that like we could accomplish if people were, you know, going like aspiring for these things for that lens right not out of desperation uh not out of fear right we are doing it because we're good at it because it brings us joy like there's so much potential for just like growth and um in that because we're not being fueled by that it's just like there's it, there's also like a fun element to it too right it's just like what can we do we could just mess around right it's not life or death you, you can just <laughs> yeah, paint you could just, you could just paint because you want to not because you have to worry about getting good enough at it so that if you spend all your time doing it you you can monetize it and also yes. eat yeah it just it doesn't have to be good like you can just paint you know you don't got to be good at the clarinet but we'll just play it <laughs> yes yes that is the future i would love to see um and i love that i do not aspire to labor <laughs> i love that um also, but th thank you so much kennedy for joining yes. us and, and geeking out i knew this was going to be amazing i knew um i was very excited to learn and uh to to hear about what's going on it's it's always a pleasure to to hear your voice and um, like bringing context and life to literally anything. So anyone who's, who's looking to, to uh, learn about something be an entertained by something, Kennedy is a person to do it for sure. Thanks. <laughs> I know things. It's the ADHD to gift a kid pipeline. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm from been there. Yes. <laughs> Living yes. at present. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we got to do this. Um, and thank you for listening to me ramble about nerd oh, stuff. No, I love it. I <laughs> love it. Yes. You two look amazing, oh, BT dubs. Like, I'm just like, oh, look at my goals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for people watching, definitely, definitely, uh, if you're not watching, definitely just at least look up some album art for, for this uh, episode. We put in some effort for it. Uh, it was just very yes. fun. Um, and I was like, should I do this for my eyebrows forever? <laughs> the answer should be. It's giving Lieutenant Savick. <laughs> Love it. It's a good Love look. Um, I, can't, I would consider getting that like tattooed. Yeah, on my face forever. Yes. <laughs> you so always want to be a cyborg, so. That's true. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we have, you know, uh, a few other good episodes for our science fiction series. So I hope you're enjoying it. Let us know what you think, what your favorite, you know, um, Star Trek season is uh, or series is. And um, don't get married. Play your kids or they'll be in space. Yeah. <laughs>